0: Welcome to We Got Balls, real, raw, masculine sex talk with Chris Inman and Scott Cohn. Chris and Scott both work with men who want to leave their unwanted sexual struggles in the past. They are willing to do whatever it takes to help men get curious about what drives their compulsive sexual behavior. With that said, here we go.
1: Hello, everybody. I hate to admit it, but uh, I am a Game of Thrones fan. I've seen every episode of the original series, including the regrettable eighth season. And uh, and I think back on that show, I think about two things that stand out to me. Number one, that show blatantly uses sexuality to attract viewers. Man, they hooked a lot of people in. Scott, we were talking earlier, you know, there, there's a lot of body parts. If you like visual cues, Game of Thrones is your show. You got penises, you got breasts, you got the occasional butt, and you've got all this, you know, weird incestuous, crazy stuff amongst families. It's 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 a strange world. But the other thing that really stands out to me is there's a there's a thread uh, involving Cersei where she does like the naked perp walk. She does the walk of atonement, they call it, through the streets of King's Landing. And for me, you know, I'm sitting there watching it, and the the whole the whole cast, all of the people in the show are yelling at this naked woman, shame, 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 shame. So that she can feel the shame of having sex with her brother and being being a uh, an immoral woman and, and all the things that are there in the in the narrative of the show. And that just that just broke my heart because. Partly my story. I feel like sometimes that's how I feel about my own story. But how does that make you feel when you think about a, a picture like that? A, a naked woman having trash and garbage thrown at her, being screamed at and being, being shamed for her sexuality.
0: Uh, yeah, I feel the weight of that on my chest, actually. And mm-hmm. it makes me think about, for men... Well, I, th- I think there's um, two things here. One is how it seems there's an unequal treatment in terms of sexual shame regarding females versus males. I yeah. don't think we've ever seen that scene where a male has been paraded naked and had trash and things thrown at him. Like, where's the brother in that? Well,
1: actually, it's story. the opposite. He gets a parade. Oh, interesting. He gets celebrated. I- I'll tell you where it is. If you want to watch this, there's there's several uh, Saturday night night live sketches with Pete Davidson where he has had sex with the teacher, and there's they're basically throwing a party. It's in a it's in a courtroom, and the trial is like, you know, they're trying these teachers for having sex with the students. But when he gets on the stand, they're basically like fist bump at a boy. Everybody's proud of him because he's had the sexual conquest. So there absolutely is duality amongst the genders when it comes
0: to sexuality and shame so so you got that if a guy has sex he's been initiated he's a man congratulations i wish i had a hot teacher all that right yeah and when a woman is she's branded with the scarlet letter i mean this is very much like uh, the scarlet letter a right yep yep so there's that and then yet I think the damage that it does for males is it creates this air of um, well you're supposed to always enjoy sex and be ready for sex no matter what that's what men mm-hmm. do so what happens if you uh, grow up and you sexually experiment with other guys or if you're sexually abused by an older guy and you end up getting aroused and experience an orgasm with the man what is that that's, and so it yeah. creates for the male, complete secrecy over sexual shame, and almost a um, an embrace of endorsed sexuality as a mark of masculinity. And for, the, for females, it's the complete opposite.
1: Well, so but for guys, also, you know, there's this: I have to lose my virginity. You know, um, I mean, that's the whole that's the whole American pie thread. In movies, and that that that's not a new thread. It's been going on for ages and ages. So and imagine if like you don't. Yeah, if you if you've not been sexual, you're ashamed. If you if you if you have not had sex, yes. But think about yes. the compound nature. I mean, the stats are one in five uh, boys are sexually abused. You have the sexual shame of being abused, and then you have the sexual shame of not becoming a man sexually. All that is thrown into the kettle of sexuality, and I mean it's just ripe with I don't want to talk about this. This is not, you know, this is something I want somebody else to talk about. This is something that I that I really want to just go away sometimes. I mean, it's it's a struggle to talk about sex in a in an honest and kind manner. I mean, why do you think we have such a hang-up around just having sexual conversations in a healthy way.
0: Well, I think it goes back to what Brene Brown kind of has revealed about um, shame and the relationship between vulnerability and shame in general, right? Mm-hmm. When are you the most vulnerable in your life? It's when you're naked and you have an erection Yeah. as a man. Yeah. Because there, there you are at your full glory mm-hmm. and you are at also your most weakest because you can be really harmed in that situation because there's no hiding. Mm -hmm. That is who you are. That's your, that's how big your penis is. That's what your body looks like naked. Mm -hmm. And that's how you express your sexuality and your arousal by how you have sex. And that all of that is something that, you know, in a normal, healthy way is kind of hidden from us. We don't like think about this. Sex is the one thing in our lives that's never modeled for us, really. Oh wow! And like, here's how you have sex. Except now that it is in pornography. Yeah. Yes. But but in a normal developmental setting, your parents are not pulling you into the bedroom, going, "Watch how I screw your mom, buddy." Yeah. Um, that would be abusive. <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, and I and I'll
1: so, say that the, the 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 modeling of porn is also abusive because it's so. Unrealistic. It's 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 people and parts that are curated for maximum stimulation. And now, and you know, we're moving into the to the heart of the 21st century. It's not long, it's probably five years from now where I'll be able to say to an AI generator, create me a porn of this, this, and this, and she's saying this, this, and this, and she looks like this, this, and this, and I get my custom pornography. So now the reality of person-to-person interaction in intimacy, which is what sex is all about, connecting with another human being, uh, whether it's genitals or orgasms or not, you know, that's going to be totally blown out of the water. And so now I'm even more insecure and have more, more shame around what I don't know and what I haven't experienced.
0: So just to make that point, Again, because of the vulnerability that's involved in being naked mm. and being sexually aroused and being sexual, those three elements, yeah, um, they make us at our most vulnerable um, to, to shame. Because I can easily be destroyed by somebody's comment about my penis size or by how quickly I orgasmed or yes. uh, how long I take, whatever, right? Yeah. Yeah. That is, yeah. there's nothing more vulnerable than being naked number one, Mm. and then being sexually aroused and being sexual and then what somebody can say about me in that context. So if you think about shame, shame always occurs in the context of being seen by another person. If there were no other people in the world. Yeah, pause, put a pen right there. What
1: is shame? Because I think we need to define that clearly. Well,
0: there's kind of a a broad experiential definition, which sure. I think is the sense of not being enough in the gaze of another person. Mm-hmm. If I feel like when I'm being looked at or seen by another person that I do not measure up, that there's something wrong with me, mm-hmm. and I have this sense of being small and wanting to be not seen, mm-hmm. that would be the experiential um, definition of shame. From a psychological, neurobiological standpoint, it is when containment is used by our parents early on in our lives, uh, in a very harsh and abrupt way, to stop us from doing something that may get us killed or may harm somebody else. It's so when by your containment says, you mean direction no. or discipline or something like that. That's what you mean by yeah, containment. Stop, yeah. Stop what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. You're about to run out into the street to catch yeah. a ball. And we have this ability as parents to shut a child down by being very harsh and abrupt because they, we need to be in that moment to save their life. But when that occurs, there is a physiological, then literally you're shutting down somebody's nervous system mm. to stop them in their tracks. Mm. That's necessary to grow children, you know, and save them in healthy ways and so on. But the problem occurs when that rupture in the relational bond occurs and it's never repaired yes so if you grow up in a home where there's this continual use of harsh and abrupt containment without repair shame becomes ingrained in your system as a way of relating to others and so so let me let me put that let me kind of break that down just so that i'm
1: clear what you're saying so there's the there's the first there's something wrong with me. I'm bad. Just kind of the general overlying, easy definition of shame. But the second piece I think is really important is as I go through these experiences of having correction without repair, I begin to feel inside of me this disruption of my goodness, this disruption of my ability to do the things that I need to do to to move into the spaces uh, compassionately with growth. And so it's really kind of like a handicap almost it's just this feeling inside of me right is that is that close
0: yeah it's it's not just a feeling it is a little it's a literal physiological shutdown of your wow. autonomic nervous system so it's designed by design it's to freeze you in place where you are at which is a yeah. which is a great physiological description of what shame does to us it immobilizes us it makes us incapable of expressing ourselves in words Uh, our emotions get sheared off and it's like, um, it's like driving a stick shift car without engaging the clutch and going from third gear to, you know, reverse without using a clutch or a brake at all. It just creates the shearing effect in the body and shuts you down. So how does this apply to sexuality? Well, in human development, at around one to two years of age, there's this narcissistic developmental stage where kids start to explore their bodies, particularly their genitals. They run around naked. They they enjoy that freedom of feeling like a self. And they're finding mm-hmm. themselves in space mm-hmm. and they're identifying their bodies. And so when children are exploring their genitals, they're masturbating in a sense. Mm-hmm. And some may actually masturbate. So how... Does the parent contain that child around their nakedness, around their expiration of their genitals? If they start to scold them or the parent shows, even if the parent's really gentle, but you come in as a parent and you're trying to contain that because that's your job. You don't want your child growing up thinking they can masturbate in public, right? So the way you contain them is going to either make them feel a lot of shame about that behavior or it's going to contain them in a safe way that, that helps them develop, you know, developmentally healthy behavior. Um, but if it's, it's shameful and it shuts you down regarding your body, your sexuality, your exploration of your body, you can see then how that becomes an ingrained part of how you relate to your body and your sexuality later on, because that's dirty. That's filthy. We don't do that in public bad right yeah and so but also with
1: that there's two pieces to that that i'm hearing and 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 you can tweak this however you want to is that there's there's the dynamic of that's bad don't do that we don't do that i want to shut this down but then there's also not a follow up after that there there's not an explanation of why we you know it's okay if you run around naked in the house but we don't run around naked you know at the mall or you know in 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 public like that there's no right uh context given and a lot of that and I think we have to be honest as adults a lot of that comes from my own sexual shame in my life I've not done the work to understand and give some grace to this developing child okay they need a they need a, a rule they need a boundary they need to be contained but they also need to be repaired with they need to have an explanation they need to be attuned to when it's an appropriate time to say, okay, I know I told you this earlier, but here, here's, here is uh, what we can do or what you need to do. And we don't do this here, but we do this here. That, that piece right there, I think to get to that level of, of, um, of understanding around sexuality takes some work, doesn't it?
0: Oh yeah. You got to work on yourself and, and come to terms with Where do I feel shame in my life? And where specifically do I feel shame around my sexual story and my body? Mm -hmm. And so many of us do. And so I'll I'll tell a story here that's kind of funny in, in my family is one day I was giving my son, my youngest son, a bath. He was four or five and he stood up and the water from the faucet, hit his penis. And he said, oh, dad, this feels amazing. Stick your penis in here and try this out. (laughs) (laughs) i I said okay so at that moment i have a choice as a parent i can go hey we don't do that that's wrong you know you know what are you doing and i instead i had dealt with a lot of my story at that point so i just said oh hey buddy i know that's awesome isn't it how your body was designed by god to feel that way and that's wonderful i'm glad you're enjoying that but that's it's not something daddies do with their sons. <laughs> and, right, right. Yeah. Uh, we save that. We want to save that for special times with our wives when we get married. That's why mm-hmm. that feels so good. And so yeah. that's all I did. I didn't shame him. I didn't shut him down. Um, but I did contain him. So he knows that's a, that's a teachable moment. But how many parents are prepared to have that discussion with their kid, especially if they feel shame around their own sexual stories, their own mm-hmm. experiences? And the tendency then is to use whatever methods were used to contain you, which probably was that's filthy, that's dirty, or maybe even silent. So nobody responds. So silence communicates shame just as well. And so much of shame in the parenting child relationship is communicated non verbally. You have to remember that most of our communication, 70% of it, is non verbal. Mm-hmm. I can affirm with my words but show disgust on my face Mm. and kids are really good at reading that and so that creates this cognitive dissonance between well the words are seeming like it's okay but i'm seeing that there's something really wrong with me by the way my parents face is showing that disgust Mm. and of course we don't think these things we're not sitting there cognitively going Hey, I'm seeing disgust on his face. I better not do this. This is a bad thing to do. We're feeling instead, I'm bad. Something's wrong with me. Yes, and to me, that's the essence of what shame says to us. So there's a there's the neurobiological reality of shame. There's the feeling or the experience of shame, and then there's the message of shame, and the message is something's really wrong with me.
1: Yeah. And, and in that, there's the, there's this shutdown. I mean, I think that's that's the one thing, you know, we talked about this uh, in a previous episode. We talked about masturbation, about the, you know, when shame enters the picture, I, I'm looking for a way to escape. So I go to, you know, compulsive sexual behavior to try to find a way out. But as that continues to degrade and and, and wind down and it becomes less and less satisfying, the only thing that I'm left with is my shame. In the end, that's that's all I've got. And so I think when when I meet a lot of guys i mean I, I most of the guys that I meet are i I call it like this they're being eaten by the shame monster is that that shame inside of them has gotten so large and so powerful that life is shutting down, and maybe it's relational things, maybe it's vocational things, maybe it's spiritual things uh i don't I don't know there are different circumstances for everyone, but you know. When when you're in that place of shame, what can you do? Where can you go to begin to get some relief?
0: Well, I like what Brene Brown says that shame only needs three things to flourish in our lives. It needs isolation. It needs secrecy and it needs judgment. Mm. And you know, let, let's say that I have a problem with uh, pornography or sexually acting out. Maybe I'm uh, paying for massages at massage parlors, you know, with happy endings. How do I get out of that situation? I can't get out of it by trying to overcome it on my own because yeah. the more I do that behavior, the more and more isolated I want to be because I don't want to be seen doing that. Right. I don't want to be seen somebody that likes that yeah and so i'm afraid again i'm afraid of the gaze of others Mm -hmm. i'm a bad worthless person and if anybody knew what i was really like i would be rejected that's what i'm telling myself Mm -hmm. whether i realize it or not so how do i cure that i have to be i have to do the opposite of what shame drives me to do shame drives me to become isolated so if I'm gonna deal with that problem, I have to get connected. I have to be mm-hmm. in a community where I can really be seen. You know, we, we use these four things, Chris, a lot. Both of us do, right? I need to be seen, safe, soothe, and, and secure. And secure, yes. Um, and we get that from Dan Siegel, uh, the uh, neurobiologist, that that describes what all of us need in terms of human flourishing and when you think about what shame does is it separates us from being seen feeling safe and being soothed into that isolation so to reverse shame's effect on me particularly sexual shame is where we feel so much shame in our lives I have to be in a community where I can be really seen in that and I feel safe enough to be vulnerable enough to get emotionally naked and say this is what turns me on
1: Mm -hmm.
0: this is what i've been doing and i hate myself for it Mm -hmm. and then to receive a kind and curious and caring response from others where they help me understand you're not the only one yeah Yeah. we all struggle that way too in different ways yeah and So my isolation begins to dissolve. I don't carry secrets anymore, but I start to become radically vulnerable and authentic with others because I believe I can be seen in those places of shame Mm -hmm. and then receive that soothing, that comfort to know I'm not alone. Um, I'm not defined by these things, these experiences that I've had or done and I can make some changes in my life with the help of others. Hmm.
1: That feels hard, Scott. I mean, what you're saying, uh, I resonate with and have experienced and, and definitely encourage guys to do all those things. Um, what's the hardest part about it? Uh, the vulnerability, you know, uh, both in the context of being with others and of getting curious about my own story, because my, my, um inclination is to just fix it you know this is a problem that needs to be fixed um and and most guys that that i talk to that come into whether recovery group or coaching you know they they think it's a four to six week fix right just give me give me the pill give me the silver bullet and then when you say and you know, it's hard you need you need to be curious you need to be vulnerable. And it's going to take some time. Oh, it's just a stab in the heart because um, that's, that's the struggle. I mean, one of the things that uh, I have really try to em- embark to people is shame is learned in relationship. Shame can only be healed in relationship and it takes time. I learned the shame in my life over time by not having the relationships that I needed and I am able to heal by having relationships that are kind and caring and curious and non-judgmental, accepting over time so that I can experience the connection. And like you said, those four words: be seen, soothed, safe and secure over time to rewire my brain so that shame is not as powerful. There's a great analogy that I like to use for shame you know, Brene Brown is the queen of shame, you know, not the queen of she shames people, but the queen of research. (laughs) And she was talking with a, a, um, an art history professor from Harvard. I believe her name was Sarah Lewis. And they were talking about how shame just destroys a creative's ability to create. And as I've looked at my own life, one of the things that I really resonated with was the fact that shame for me, resonates like a black hole. I'm a, I'm a big um, uh, astronomy fan. I grew up in Huntsville, Alabama near the Space and Rocket Center. And so I love the movie Interstellar. And I love that they go and they travel into this wormhole and it's right near a supermassive black hole, Gargantua. And when I think about shame, I think about Gargantua. The closer I get to Gargantua, the less in my life is really going to work more shame is just gonna take over my reality. And they go visit a planet that's orbiting right on the edge of Gargantua. And it's a beautiful planet, lots of water, life can live. But once every hour, a huge wave crashes over the, the face of the planet, circling the planet, destroying everything. And that's how I felt like my life was living in shame. There's no hope, nothing good can happen. And in my experience, In doing my own recovery and walking with guys in their recovery, the real healing balm has come coming alongside one another and giving them the belief that they're not stuck in shame anymore through kindness, through presence, through vulnerability, honest, brutally honest confession. And each time I'm with someone who's giving me kindness, I begin to believe, I borrow their belief that kindness might be something that's good in my life, that's real in my life. So I slowly move away from shame. So I'm like a satellite orbiting that big black hole of shame and each kind word, each presence, each confession that's received and reflected and and given back to me with greater grace than I offered it moves me further and further away from that black hole of shame until it's not dominating my life and destroying my life anymore. And I have freedom. And that's what I think freedom really is from sexual brokenness is moving myself far enough away from that place of shame that it's not consuming my life. I'm not driven by it every single day.
0: So So what I hear you saying is we never really get out of, we never really completely eradicate shame from our lives. It's still present, but it doesn't exert its gravitational pull to suck us down into that pattern of destruction yes because absolutely my experience is very similar to yours that you know i had to live a a secret life with in particular with my sexuality but the minute i could bring it out in the open and to be received which feels like stripping naked right Mm -hmm. in front of somebody else and receive kindness, which was, we see you and we're not turning away in disgust because that was what I expected. That's what I experienced starting as a little kid, just the way my mom and dad related to me when I did things they didn't like was that sense of rejection Mm. and you're bad. Mm -hmm. There's something wrong with you. And then when we discover sexuality, that gets applied definitely to this area because of that quality of being naked, being really vulnerable, being really seen as we are. And we're so vulnerable in that area. And it's an area of weakness. It's Our flaws are exposed. But when you can learn to be in the presence of others where they can hold space for that and they don't look away in disgust, you also may not find that they... They're not going to necessarily condone your sexual behavior, but they're not going to condemn it either. Right. They're going to be with you. Well, but I think it's important in that space of being with, it's still my
1: journey to go back and understand where it was formed. I, no, nobody's, nobody's doing the work to get the shame out of my life. I'm the one doing the work. They're helping. They're coming alongside and enabling me to believe that it's possible, but it's still my journey. I'm the one that has to go back into the darkness, back into the rigidity, back into the emotional disconnection and make sense of where did this begin in my story?
0: And that's the main thing. That's the thing that I think is so important is it's not sexual in nature. It becomes sexual in nature over time, but shame starts very developmentally early yeah. And it's all about how you were said no to. It's, it's all about what was done to your desires and your wants. Yeah. And that's,
1: that's where we always point at the end of every episode is if you have heard something today that has piqued your interest and made you curious, good. Because we want to continue to invite you into doing that work about Where in your, as we call it, story, was shame born? Where in your story did you first begin to feel this disconnection, this something is wrong with me, that this I'm not worthy or I'm not enough narrative, and it's continued with you for many, many, many years? So you want to know more uh, about how you can do that, stay tuned. We'll be back for another episode of We Got Balls very soon. Take care, guys. Good to see you, Scott.
0: to see you chris have a good day everybody don't forget to subscribe for more episodes you can connect with chris at pornfreemasculinity.com and with scott at successfulmen.com